Well, hallelujah. So we're in James chapter 1, and we're going to be beginning in verse number 2 this evening. But in, in James chapter 1, James is really... Uh, setting the course for these brethren that are under persecution. They've been going through hard times, and I know that you can't identify with going through hard times. I know that everything's been, you know, easy peasy for you, but a lot of people go through hard situations, and the book of James addresses a few of those hard situations, and he begins here in, in chapter 1, in verse number 2, he says this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy... When you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. There's several things in here that the flesh does not like. One thing in particular is patience. Um, I was told that all my life, never pray for patience. Uh, You know, you don't want to get that. But, you know, God works that in. God works that into us. That's a godly characteristic patience is. But notice here in verse number two, it says, count it all joy when you fall into, into diverse temptations. And the, the diverse temptations means that the many problems, the many oppositions that we go through in this life. God said, count it joy when you come into opposition. I mean, that's right there is, is so deep and so powerful. I don't know many people that just shout hallelujah for every opposition, but it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to grow in your faith. Whenever we face opposition, whenever we face hardship, whenever we face a situation that is unfamiliar and undesirable, it is a diverse temptation, and God is telling us here to count it joy because that means God can do something in you. That means God can begin to work in you. And most of us, we would like to hit the pause button. We want to go live in a bubble. We want to go in the timeout box and coast through life. We don't want any hardship. We don't want anything to go wrong. We want the air on 72. We want the grass to be green. We don't have to cut it or manicure it. We just want an easy, high life. But the way that God grows us is through affliction. The way that God grows the children of God is through these manifold temptations, these trials that come our way. And whenever we're going through it, like I said, nobody ever counts it joy most of the time when they're facing it. Amen? But once you see what God does, how many of you can testify when you've gone through a trial, God grew you through that? Right? Sometimes he had to pull us by the nose to get us through it. Sometimes he had to pull us by our feet to get us through it. But nonetheless, God grew us. We're a more mature believer today on the backside of that temptation and trial than we were on the front side of it, you know? And so what God is speaking to here is to reassure you that you're not going through this situation just by happenstance. This is not just some wind of chance that you're going through a a problem. It's not just like the rolling ball just kind of fell on your lot. When we go through situations, it's because God has allowed that thing to happen because God's doing something in us. And none of us like this. It. It's like when sandpaper is going against something. That sandpaper rubs, it hurts, it hurts, but what is it doing? It's smoothing it out. It's smoothing it out and it's making it beautiful. It's making it, it's making it pliable. And whenever we go through these diverse temptations, we have to understand from God's perspective what's going on. Nobody loves it whenever they go through a hardship. Nobody does. You know, whenever uh, you're, you're in that trial, you're in that testing, it's easy to tell people, just hold on, God will get you through. It's so easy to tell people, just hold on, you know, you're okay, you're going to make it. It's easy to say that when you're not the one going through it. But when you're the one going through it, you have this. 
When you're the one going through it, you have God telling you, count it joy, brother. Count it joy, sister. What do you, how do you count it joy? It, it, that means that it's not automatic. If God's telling you to count it all joy, that means that joy is not the natural response of the flesh to a trial. It means that you've got a purpose in your heart to take that thing and dedicate it to God. And say, God, I don't know why this is coming, but I'm going to glorify you in it. I don't know why the bottom's falling out. I don't know why water's getting in the boat, but I'm going to glorify you while I'm in the situation. While, while, while people rise up against me, when, while opposition comes, while, while things are, are going on around me, I don't know why, but I know this, you're still God. You're still good, and I can trust you in it. And Lord, please help me to see what I need to know in this situation and in this trial, right? And like I said, nobody likes to go through it, but it's an opportunity for God to grow us. Well, how does God grow us? Well, one of the ways that God grows us is, is through our faith. It is through our faith being refined. We'll look at that in just a little bit, but in First in Peter, Peter talks about how uh, the trial of our faith is more precious than gold. You know, the trial of our faith, that is when our faith gets put to the test. It is more precious to us than any precious metal. Because it, it comes out on the other side, a refined, purified, stronger faith that is more set upon Christ, more set upon the cross. Because I want to tell you something. When you go through the fire, when you go through the flood, when you go through all the opposition that the enemy has, there's one thing that's going to get you through. That's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It ain't faith in your mama or your daddy or your denomination. It's not faith in your church attendance. What will get you through the trial is you ain't anchor into that cross when you say that's where I'm at that's where God made access for me I'm tethering this thing to that cross and I'm not moving off of it I know that God loves me because he died for me on the cross and if God's for me who can be against me I don't know why this is happening but my faith is getting fixed on that cross and you see when you come out on the other side you have a faith that is more pure than it was before. Because before we may put our faith in the fact that we and we may think, "Oh, well, you know, God's for me because I got a I got a job making six figures." Well, you know what? God is for some people in another country that don't make anything. God's not more for you than them. And so whenever we begin to put up these false Americanized pretenses about thinking God's for us because we make six figures, you better watch out. Because God will show you that his favor cannot be found in materialistic means. And if he has to purify us, he will. And so many times we begin to think that God's favor upon our life comes from those things when you have to understand God's favor is just as much on a person in a foreign third world country. God's favor is, I believe, even more upon them because their faith is already pure. Ours has to be purified through the stuff. But you see, here is, a, is, is, a, is the issue. Because a lot of times when we face opposition, we say, well, what did I do? What did I do? It's not about what you did. It's about God making you stronger. You didn't do anything wrong. It's about God working in you to make you a stronger Christian. I want to tell you, God's building an army. God's raising up an end times army. He's going to pour down the latter rain. Look, He's not going to pour down the latter rain on carnal Christians. Come on. God's not going to pour down the latter rain on some people that need smoke machines to fill the Holy Ghost. 
He's not going to pour down the, the, the latter rain on, on, on carnal Christians. It's going to be on those purified by the fiery trial. Those saints that come out on the other side clinging to that old rugged cross filled with the Holy Ghost. That's who God's going to pour down that latter rain on and he's going to raise up an end time army to go out and mobilize and evangelize our community. He's doing it now. We're in that time when God is mobilizing the church. Ever since Matthew chapter 28, the church is supposed to be evangelistic. But what we've, what we've relegated ourselves to is building cool buildings. God never called us to build a cool building. He called us to evangelize nations. Sometimes you have to bring temporal things so that you can gain access, but it's not about giving somebody a bottle of water. It's about giving them Jesus so they can drink from the fountain of living water, so that living water can rise up within, so they can know who Jesus is, so they can know who the Holy Ghost is, so they can be his. And what you, what you see here is sometimes God, especially us, God has to take us through these situations so that he can refine us, build us, purify us. Amen? Or oh me, right? But amen, God is good, and he wants the best for you. I want to tell you something. Your flesh and my flesh does not like this. We don't like being challenged by the Spirit of God. We don't like how God grows us, but it's the best thing for us. As any child can tell you, you know, there were times that I would get in trouble, and I would get correction by, you know, by a parent. And it's not fun when you get chastised. But you know what? Those chastisings make you better on the other side. It makes you a more responsible person. It makes you more mindful of what you're doing. It gets you pointed in the right direction. And, and God uses the situations of life to refine us. God uses those situations to get us to where our hopes are not in money or men or machinery, the, the, the denominations, but our hope is in Him and Him alone. Now, and in that, I want to just, I want to touch on something real quick, because one of the things that will happen that I really want to speak to before I move on, I want to speak to this, because whenever you begin to face that opposition and you begin to face that trial that God's going to use, God's going to use it, God's going to use it, but whenever you face it, one of the problems that we see in the church is when we begin to look at a trial through carnal reasoning. Once you begin to look at a trial through carnal reasoning, you, you begin to set yourself up for failure. Whenever you begin to see this happen, it's because it's what the Bible calls double-minded. And we're going to touch on that right here. Let's look at this. It says, uh, the trying of your faith works patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Uh, does that say that you may be almost perfect? It says that you may be perfect. That's the goal, Right? How many of you know that you can get to that place? That's where you're supposed to strive. That's where you should be. It, 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 that's, that's the calling upon our life is to be perfect as our Father's perfect, to be holy as I am holy. That's the call on our life. Don't, never forget the Holy Ghost is holy. Amen. Amen? And if the Holy Ghost is in you, he's going to do a work in you to, to make you holier. He's going to do a work of purifying you. He's going to cause you to love God and to love his way and to, and to despise the things of the world and to despise the things that take you away from God. But he's going to cause you to be more holy today than you were yesterday. If the Holy Ghost is in you, he's, he's moving you towards holiness. Fair enough. Um, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. 
If any of you lack wisdom, how many of you know whenever you go into a trial, that's one thing you should ask? Lord, help me to see what's going on. That's the one thing that we mostly don't do. We go in that trial and we think, oh, great. What did I do? Why me? If I would have done this, this wouldn't have happened. If I would have done that, this wouldn't have happened. And we, and we immediately begin to think carnally. We immediately begin to look at the situation that we're in through a carnal perspective. And we think, we second guess ourselves. If I would have done this or if I wouldn't have done that, why is this happening? It's not happening to Brother Joe. I mean, Brother Joe over there, I mean, he's not even living right. And look, he's not facing any opposition. Well, you don't know what he's battling. You don't know what he's battling. The devil just setting you up for failure, getting you to think carnally, getting you to look at the situation through natural eyes. You see, that's when you need to take that step back. When you face those bumps in the road, when you face that uneasy feeling, when you face that time, take a step back and say, God, I need wisdom. Lord, I need to see this in a heavenly manner. I need you to open my eyes to see this the way that you see it. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what's going on. Lord, what's the deal? What is the deal? You know, some people might ask God to, to help their team win the World Series. Some people might ask God to, to, to help their TV show stay on the air one more season. God's not going to listen to that. But when his child asks for wisdom, you know, Jesus is wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 31. Jesus has been made our wisdom. And when, when a child of God asks his heavenly father, Lord, I need wisdom on this. You know God's going to give you that wisdom. God's going to open up your eyes. He's going to open up your understanding to see from a spiritual perspective. And, you, you, and look, God may call you to do something that don't make sense. I've seen it uh, many times. I've seen people, you know, everything was set before them. All they had to do was just, you know, uh, get married to that person or, 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 or take that job or, or buy that car. And then something, you know, came up and it just, the Lord said no. It didn't make sense. Everything was laid out for you. But God said no. God said something else. God wants to know if we'll trust him. God's purifying, refining. God is renewing us. And, and there's times that we go through situations and we're not sure what's going on. We think we know, but we really don't because we look at it from a carnal perspective. And James here says, take a step back. Take a step back. Take a breath and ask God, Lord, I need your help. I need wisdom from above. If I look at this situation from my perspective, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I remember one time D.L. Moody said that about somebody came and, and questioned him about his evangelistic methods. This lady came to him and was berating him. You know, you shouldn't do it like that. And you shouldn't do it like this. And, you know, you make people feel bad and you do this and you do that. And, and full of the spirit. Why is D.O. Moody? He says, well, can I ask you how you do it? And she said, oh, well, I, I, I don't. I, I, that's not my thing. And he said, well, I can tell you this. He said, I like my way of doing it more than your way of not doing it. Amen. That's wisdom. But, you know, if, if, if you begin to allow yourself 
to look at a situation carnally, you'll second guess it. Just like that lady was second guessing. She was second guessing that work that God was doing, second guessing it. And if you look at things from a carnal perspective, you'll begin to second guess. Well, why is this? Why is this? Why am I going through a hardship if I, you know, I do this and I do that? Don't look at it from a carnal perspective. Number one, ask God for wisdom. Lord, what's going on? Lord, what's going on? If you're a, a, a full gospel Christian, you should know that the Holy Ghost speaks. If you're not a full gospel Christian, now, now's the time to get in that ride. Because God loves to talk to his children. He loves to guide his children. Jesus said in John chapter 10 that my sheep hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. It was the first prayer I prayed after I got filled with the Spirit. I said, Lord, I want to hear you. I want you to guide me. But you know, that's the most beautiful part is there's, a, there's, a, there's an intimacy that God builds. When you begin to take a step back and you don't begin to reason yourself through a situation, it may look like this in the natural, but you're not willing to reason it in the natural. But you take a step back and you say, Lord, you know, in the natural, it looks like this, this, and this. But I'm not doing none of that. I'm taking a step back and I need you. I need your help. I need your wisdom, Lord. And I'm not moving till you tell me what to do. You know, that's one of the things that you see throughout the Bible, especially as you look at the Old Testament. That was how God, that's how God used so many of the mighty men because they would wait on God and they would wait on that instruction from God. They would wait on that word from God. But what do we do in, in the New Testament, you know, church in America? We just blow right through all that and we do what we think's right. Well, that's not how I would do it. I would do it like this. And we just, you know, if, if, if you didn't do this, well, I wouldn't do that. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, verse 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraid it not, and it shall be given him. Does that mean that God can give you wisdom? Does that mean that God can give you wisdom? How many of you lack wisdom over certain issues in the past, right? There's times that we've gone through situations and we didn't get God's wisdom on it and we made boneheaded decisions. God help us. And, and look at it now. God's saying, look, if you lack wisdom, ask. I'll give. You know the problem with that? Especially in our generation, everybody wants, everybody wants what God can give as long as it's more money. That, they, they pimp the gospel to get money. That's why you go to some places and you'll pass the offering plate three times. It's not about getting wisdom from God. It's about getting stuff. But God delights in giving his people wisdom. When you take a step back and you, you take your hand off the situation and you don't touch it and you say, God, I need, I need help on that one. I, I need to know what to do right there, right on that. God, he said he gives liberally. And he upbraided not. That, when, that, when it means upbraided, it, it, what it basically means is that God doesn't, doesn't chastise you for asking him. God doesn't get tired of you asking for direction. God's not, God doesn't go, huh, you again? I mean, you know, there's times if you got kids, you know, sometimes you get tired of your kid asking you the same thing over and over and over and over. Can I get a this? Can I get a this? Can I get a this? <sighs> you see, but God doesn't do that when you say, God, can I have some wisdom? God doesn't upbraid when you do that. He doesn't huff. He doesn't take that deep breath and he go, oh, man, that kid. Don't know what to do again. 
God gives liberally. It honors God when you ask for wisdom. Because what it shows is that He's preeminent in your life. It shows, that you're, it shows that you're willing to walk according to His desire. You're willing to walk according to what delights Him and not your flesh. You're willing to honor Him with, with your life, with the decisions of your life. Sometimes we make those decisions without God and it, and it costs us. It costs us. So it says that He upbraided not and it shall be given in verse 6. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. A person that is double-minded. Now, a lot of times we think double-minded because we're like Burger King, McDonald's, Burger King, McDonald's, Burger King, McDonald's. But when God's talking about double-mindedness, he's talking about spiritual mind versus carnal mind. He's talking about you leaning on him versus leaning on your own understanding. He's, he's talking about you figuring it out through your own pea brain. He's, he's talking about you doing it yourself or you taking a step back and saying, Lord, there it is. You see, when we use that carnal mind, we begin to, we begin to take that hammer and just beat it, beat it, beat it, beat it. But when we lean on the Holy Spirit, when we come back to the Lord and we say, Lord, I I don't know what to do in this situation and I I need understanding, I need wisdom on this thing. That's when God begins to, that's when God begins to direct. But he says, if we keep teeter-tottering between the carnal mind and the spiritual mind, we're unstable. How many of y'all have lived an unstable Christian life? I've been there before. I've been there. I won't raise my hand on that. There was a time, I mean, but... What, and it makes us unstable in every area. It makes it, to where, it makes it to where you're a very unstable person because nobody knows whether you're going to be spiritual today or carnal. It makes it to where nobody knows what side of the bed you're going to wake up on. You're supposed to wake up on the holy side every day. We talked about last week, uh, Brother Smith Wigglesworth, he said he never got out of bed. He never put his feet on the ground until he prayed himself happy in the Holy Ghost. He said he would lay in bed and he would just pray in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit and pray in the Spirit. And he said he refused to put his feet on the ground until he prayed himself happy. What a testimony. What a testimony. And yet we just plop out and we just go and we do and we just, you know, I'll catch up later. And then we wonder why we go through these, these situations and we're going through it in that carnal way. And God has a better way. How many of you know God has a better way? God's way has always been better. Ever since I've known God, His way has always been better. His way is higher. His way is better. I mean, it's above mine. But, you know, I think about Proverbs chapter 3. It says to, to trust in the Lord with some of your heart. Is that how it goes? Trust in the Lord when you feel like it. Trust in the Lord when it makes sense. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? And lean not on your own understanding. That's, that's what we're talking about. When you go through situations, especially a trial, Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding. Your understanding is not the understanding you need. Can I get a witness? I don't need my understanding. I need God's. You know, that's the thing. Before I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, I didn't have anything to tell anybody because if I ever stood in front of anybody, I would just stammer. I would get... But you know what? It's God that I need. 
And when I realize that, I'm not going to operate in the carnal. Can I tell you, just take that step back and say, Lord, I need you. Because when I don't think I need God, or when I just give lip service to that, how many of you know you can give lip service to saying you need God? I encounter it all the time. Well, yeah, I need God, but I'm just going to do it myself. People, you counsel with people enough, you start hearing all that kind of stuff. I know, I, I know I should just give it to God, but I'm just going to bop it one more time. I know I'm going to regret it, Pastor, but I got to do it. Well, you're not trusting God. So we can give lip service to saying we need God. And when we, when we are giving lip service to saying we need God, it's because we're operating in the carnal. It's because we're operating in the carnal. Amen? Let me show you this in Romans chapter 8. Look over there real quick. Romans chapter 8. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 8. I just want to dig, dig, dig down on this real quick. I got somewhere else I want to take you to. Romans 8, we're going to look at verse number 4, 5, and 6. Romans 8, verses 4, 5, and 6. And we're talking about the spiritual versus the carnal. How many times do we go through situations and we actually get into a self-defeating position because we walk away from that access to God? How many of you know when Jesus made access for us on the cross, that access is for all time? We come boldly to that throne of grace to obtain mercy in what? Our time of need. Well, how much do you need God? I need him every day. All day, every day, seven days a week. Amen? Sunday through Saturday. I need him every day. And when I think I don't need him, I'm setting myself up for a disaster. Amen? So he made that access for us that we can obtain help and mercy in our time of need. And I'm telling you, we all need we all need him every day every day okay okay so romans 8 verse 4 says the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us how many of you know that nobody fulfilled the law except for one body come on now the the righteousness of the law is unattainable to anyone except for god now, some people operated in the law righteously. They did what they were supposed to do when they sinned, but nobody fulfilled the righteousness of the law, that is, never having sin. And that's Jesus. And it says that that right there is fulfilled in us. Hold on. That is full stop, awesome sauce. That righteousness that, that Jesus lived, that he is, that he embodied, that he possessed, that he offers to whosoever is fulfilled in us. This was not possible prior to Calvary. The only way that any person can access this promise, and see, we're, we, we live in such luxury, we don't even understand the beauty of this verse. But we have such access to God, and yet we don't even take that access and ask God just, why am I going through this? I need wisdom. When God has made that access through that righteousness that He's given, when you believe on Calvary, when you believe what Jesus did on the cross, it says the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Listen to this. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
can, can, you know, we could take testimony right there. How many times have we, have we put our mind on the carnal and it's brought hardship? It's brought division in the home. It, it, it's, brought, uh, it's brought worry and anxiety. It, it's brought us, you know, looking at, oh, I, better, I better go dig a hole in the backyard before that atomic bomb goes off. You begin to think in the carnal, you start doing all kinds of stuff. And it brings hardship, it brings, it brings tribulation, it brings unwarranted anxiety, doubt, fear. It brings all the things that people try to medicate away. But as long as you live with the carnal mind, it's going to stay there. The carnal mind brings that. It's only when we, when we go through the cross, when we come to Calvary and that righteousness comes to us and we have access to God and we begin to operate in that spiritual mind, giving that thing to God, leaning not to ourselves but on Him, then we begin to operate in that spiritual mind. And what is it? Life and peace. How is it that God can give you peace when other people go through the same situation, you know how many times people go through situations that are similar, but they handle it different? Right? There's times that you go through a situation, a job loss, family member loss, you go through a tribulation with your body, you go through a sickness. People that are carnally minded, it, it just does a number that they almost can't come back from. But when you begin to go through that same situation, that same trial, tethered to the cross, knowing that God loves you, He sought you, He bought you, and He's given you access to come boldly to His throne of, of grace and obtain that mercy for your need. And you can come anytime you want, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. God never gets tired of His children coming to Him. He is not tired. He's new. He will not upbraid you once for coming to Him. And then we begin to find that life in peace. And you know, one of the things that you see here is that so long as the church in America operates in the carnal, we'll never experience the life and peace that God has. If the church in America stays in this carnalistic thing that it's in, it's ingrained in it. Even, even I, I saw even somebody about the, the, the war going on in Ukraine. Well, what are we going to do? We're going to take up a, a, a more money. I mean, the church is so carnal today. We have moving motion projectors behind us and the, the lights, camera, action. And yet, none of that brings life and peace. The only thing that brings life and peace is a spiritual mind. And the only way you can get that is through your access to God. The only way you get that, old rugged cross. See, that's why, that's why that message can be preached in a brush arbor. That's why that message can be preached under a tent. That's why that message can be preached on a street corner. Because you, you, you don't need smoke machines for that. The only thing that you need is the old rugged cross and to trust what God did. And that's how God makes access for you and access for me to come to his throne. We don't need any of the tapestries. We don't need cotton candy or flowers. We don't need any of that to, in order to get to him it's that cross. It's just coming to the end of self, resisting the carnal temptation, resisting that, and not leaning on our own understanding, but just coming back to that cross, coming to that place where Christ made access for you. Christ made access for you.
He made access. You know, we didn't deserve that. We didn't deserve access to God. We didn't deserve that. We had rebelled against God. I don't know anybody that hasn't sinned. Do you? We've all sinned and come short. And we shouldn't be sinning now. If you, if you blood-bought, washed, and filled with the Holy Ghost, you shouldn't be in sin anymore. Jesus told that woman caught in adultery, go sin no more. You think he lied to her? He said, go sin no more. That means, I mean, he wouldn't tell her to, to do something she couldn't do. It'd be like, go fly to Neptune. If Jesus told her to do it, she could do it. And he said, go sin no more. And yet, that's controversial in America today. That's how carnal we are in America. Well, brother, nobody can do that. Well, the Holy Ghost can. And if He's in you, He can do it in you. If you'll stop leaning on your own understanding, if you'll stop leaning on your own self, if you'll stop operating in a carnal mind, God can do it in you. If you'll come back to the cross and take that access that God made for you at Calvary, you don't need a man helping you get to the cross. You don't need a man helping you to get to Jesus. Jesus came to you. Come on now. You don't need a pope or an intercessory um, St. Mary or St. Michael or St. Joseph. You've got Jesus. He's the high priest. There's one, Jesus, and he made access for you and for me and for all. Amen? And we can come boldly to that throne and obtain that mercy. He made that for you. And so many times we don't take, we don't take that. We don't take that. Amen? We don't take that. Well... One of the things that I, I, I want to touch on, um, I don't know if I got, can, can get there, but let's go over there. Let's go over to John chapter 15. I want to just touch on this. John chapter 15, you see, one of the reasons why we need God's wisdom when we go through a situation is because the situation can sometimes be not pleasant. I mean, some of the worst situations I've been through were not pleasant. I wouldn't wish them on others. How many of you got those kind of situations? Right? It's not like, well, I just ran out of Cheez-Its. I mean, some of us, we got trials that are like, strike you to the core. Right? And you wouldn't wish that on anybody. But God's using even those things to make you a stronger Christian. If you'll, if you'll keep coming to him. If you'll come to him and, and, and seize that access that he made, that spiritual mind. Watch this. It says, in, this is one of my favorite chapters. It's hard for me to preach in this without preaching the whole thing. Um, so bear with me, but we're just going to cover just a couple of verses here at the beginning. It, Jesus said this in, in verse 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch. Somebody say every. All right. Hallelujah. Every branch in me, if, if something's in Jesus, what would we call that? A Christian? If something's in Christ, we would call that a Christian, right? Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he, being the Father, taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, every branch that beareth fruit. How many of you, like, when, when the Lord says every branch that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, we all go, ooh, I don't want to be in that category, right? So you're in one of the two categories. You're either bearing fruit or not, right? If you're not bearing fruit, you're a candidate to get disposed. That's what Jesus says. 
every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. But on the other side of it, those that are in him and bearing fruit, look what happens. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that it may bring forth more fruit. You ever been you ever seen a crawfish get purged? They put that they put that salt water and all that in there. I don't even know what all they do, but I seen it. It's you know, we used to do that with slugs. You put salt on it. But when they purge those those crawfish, they make it to where it's edible. It's not what it used to be. It's pure. It's purified. And when God purges us, when God purges us, it's not fun. It is not fun. If you've ever seen a tree get, get pruned, it's the same mentality. The pruning process that happens on, a, on an apple tree or a, a fruit tree, the pruning process that happens on a bush or a, a plant of flowers, it's not fun for that plant because things get cut off and they think they need that thing. Why are you cutting that? That was my thing. That's pruning. And sometimes we go through these situations in life and, 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 and we don't understand why this is getting pruned away. And we don't understand why God's purging that. And what I'm, the point I'm getting to you tonight is this. We can't know that with a natural mindset. If you try to understand why you're being purged in a certain area with a carnal mind, you'll begin to get bitter. You'll begin to get offended. You'll begin to lose faith. You'll begin to lose confidence in God. But it's when you take that step back, like I've been talking about tonight. You take that step back and you say, God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're the master plan. I know that you're, you've got that green thumb and you know how to get more out of me. And I'm just going to trust you in this process. But Lord, can you give me wisdom about what's going on? And God will begin to reveal to you what's going on. He said that he will give it to you liberally and he will not upbraid you. And I'm telling you, so many times people miss the mark. So many times people miss the mark because they begin to go through the fiery furnace. They begin to go through the trial. As Peter says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, it's the trial of our faith that is more precious than gold. The trying, the, 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 that purifying fire of God. And you don't know why God's doing it. You can't know in the natural. That's why you need the wisdom of God. That's why you need God to say, look, you, you've been leaning on this. You've been leaning on your standing in this denomination. You've been, you've been leaning on that, or you, you've been holding to this when you're supposed to be holding to that cross. And, and, and you might say, Brother Kenny, I am holding to the cross. Well, good. He wants more fruit to come out of you. And sometimes we can get complacent, even just knowing those old truths. I, you want to know how I know? Because I've been there. I mean, I grew up in a church singing about the old rugged cross, but I didn't know anything about it. You talk about complacent, you can get cold. You can say the right thing and not know it. But you know, God's not content that we get idle or that we get complacent. Or, listen to this, God's not even content if you bury your talent. I got to touch on this before I move on. You see, here's the thing. God wants more out of you. God wants more out of me. God wants me to be a better Christian tomorrow than today. 
He wants more fruit coming out of me. None of us want that. None of us want that because you know if more is coming out, God's going to have to do something in you. But we, we like to get up and, and get perched up like a bird in a nest and just chill. I'm fine right here. Don't, don't, don't bring any conviction on me. Don't challenge me. Don't rock my boat. I'm fine where I'm at. I've got my little place tucked away right here. I'm content. I'm content. I'm idle. I'm burying my talent right here. You know, that was the one, the one, um, the, the one disciple um, in, the, in the story when Jesus gave out the talents, the one that got rebuked, he didn't go and throw his talent away. He didn't go waste it, you know. It wasn't like he was a musician with a musical talent. Instead of doing it in church, he went and did it in a bar. It, was, it wasn't like that. He didn't just waste his talent. He just buried it. He didn't operate in it. He just let that thing sit. And he got out his lawn chair, and he kicked his feet back, and he just chilled. Can I tell you, God's not content with you doing that. God wants more out of you. God wants to grow you. He wants to use you. He wants to refine you, refire you. He'll purge you. He'll prune you. Why? Why will he do all that? So that more fruit comes out of you. What kind of fruit? Go back to the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. So that more of the fruit of the Spirit's flowing through your life. More things about you will glorify God. You'll have less of a temper, less of an ego. You'll be more patient and you'll be more kind. You won't have anxiety because you'll have peace. You won't need the devil's substitute for joy because you'll have the joy of the Holy Ghost. You won't need to go watch the latest movie because you've got the King of Kings. You, you, you see, there's, there's so much in this, but the point that I want to make, though, is that you're one of two categories. You're either in Christ and not bearing fruit, candidate for disposal, or you're in Christ bearing fruit, and if you are, he's going to work on you. Now, the, the thing that I want you to see, though, is that when that purging takes place, you need God's wisdom. Because if you begin to look at it from a naturalistic standpoint, you, you'll get beside yourself. Now, I used to do that. I, I used to, you know, there was a, a season in my life when um, there, was, there, there were no... Um, there were no men of God around me. And, and I used to, and I, you know, all my friends had a mentor. They had somebody training them. They had somebody equipping them. And there was a season in life, and I just remember it was a very young Christian. And I just remember saying, God, what, what do I stink? What is the deal? Nobody will take time to impart anything to me. I'm just, you know, just here. What is the deal? And it was in that moment God spoke to me. And he said, I am training you. I am leading you. I am mentoring you. I am shepherding you. And he was getting me to that point where I didn't need affirmation from a man. You see, God can do more in you if you'll take that step back and get wisdom because I was very close to getting bitter. All the all my friends had what I desired, and I was very close to getting bitter about it. I just took a step back and prayed. What is the deal, Lord? Do I stink? God said, no, I'm doing it. 
You know, and, 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 and after that season, there's never been a time where I never had that, that you know, a, a, a person, you know, there mentoring, guiding, discipling, pastoring. But there was that one season that God just wanted me to know it was just me and the shepherd. And you'll never know that until you let go of other things. And that's when God can do amazing things in our lives when we, when we are willing to just take that step back and get a heavenly perspective on that situation. Before you get bitter, before you get mad, before you get upset about, take that step back and, and pray and ask God for wisdom on that issue. And he will give it to you. Amen? Amen. Amen, amen. Let me, let me close over in, in, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 1. I've been, I've been talking about it. I, I got to tell you, there's, there's like three other places I want to go, but I'm just going to bring you here to close out this message. Because it, it is, we, we talked in James chapter 1 about that double-minded person. That's that person that, that teeter-totters between the spiritual mind and the carnal mind. And you'll never make any progress in God when you do that. Right? We got that tonight. And whenever you begin to operate in that carnal mind, um, that's whenever you begin to open, open up destruction and, and, and those types of things in our life. So how is it that we're supposed to keep our mind on God? Well, you know, Isaiah 26 says that if you keep your mind, what? Stayed upon God, he'll keep you in what? Perfect peace. Isaiah 26.3 is one of the most beautiful promises in the Bible. He that keeps his mind stayed on the Lord, God will keep him in perfect peace. So many times we don't have the peace of God because our mind is on what people think about us. So many times we don't have perfect peace because we keep our mind on what we can do for them and what, why this is happening to us and what is this going to happen. Instead of just keeping our mind stayed on him. You know, it is one of the most beautiful things when you have some when you get around people that just keep their eyes on the Lord. You'll see them grow exponentially in the things of God. Look what Peter says here in verse number 13. 1 Peter 1, verse 13. He said, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fastening yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. Now, I'm going to stop right there for right now, but the part I want you to see is that there's a differentiation between having this right mind and then operating in your former mind. You see, our former mind can only deal with things in a natural way. But as a child of God, as a Christian, he's telling you to gird up the loin of your mind so that you can get the right mindset on a situation. What does it mean to gird up the loin of your mind? Well, just simplistically, when, um, you know, back in the day, um, it wasn't like men had pants, okay? Everybody wore the robes, male and female. They all wore them. But when, whenever a guy would go to run, he would take his robe and he would gird it around his legs. He would bring it up and gird it so that he could run without tearing it. He, his legs could move. And, and what, so what does it mean when God's telling you to gird up the loin of your mind? What is he telling you? He's telling you to remove whatever is impeding a right mind. 
remove whatever is restricting you from keeping your mind on Him. Remove whatever it is that is hindering your progress in God. Remove whatever is slowing you down from getting to that place at the cross. Whatever, if it's fear or doubt or insecurity, if it's bitterness, if it's unforgiveness, if it's whatever it is, girding up the loin of your mind means being willing to let that thing go so that you can keep your mind where it's supposed to be, which is on Christ, Him crucified and Him risen from the dead. And when you do that, then he says, now be sober. That means keep that mind um, un, um, un, um, well, keep that mind pure. Keep that mind sober means don't let any intoxicating thing into it. Don't let anything into that mind that's going to defile it. Just like we're supposed to be sober, we're not supposed to drink wine, but we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. In the same way, your mind is supposed to be sober. That means not allowing things into your mind that are not leading you closer to Christ. There are so many things. I'm closing right here. This is my second one, right? There's so many things in life that will defile the mind of the child of God. We face more mental battles today than I think in any generation. We live in the information generation. And in the information generation, there's so many things that are battling for your mind. You can pray and just log on to Facebook and forget about praying. You can pass time playing tic-tac-toe on your phone. But that's not bringing you closer. Is tic-tac-toe evil? No. But could it keep you from a right mind on Jesus? It could. If it's keeping me from getting my mind on Him, on godly things, if it's keeping me from that access to the throne, even if it's, even if it's something generic and harmless on the surface, if it's keeping my mind away from God, you know what? I need to gird up these loins of my mind. I need to stay right there. I need to stay close to Him. He's my shepherd. And He's going to guide me through this life. But it's His... He will, everybody loves to quote, you know, I do too. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. Yes, but unclog your ears so you can hear his voice. Keep your mind pure so that your mind can stay fixed on him. Amen? Amen, amen. God is good. Everything that hinders our minds from being fixed on Jesus, we should remove. Remove any impediment. Remove any impediment. Lord, we thank you tonight for the work of the Holy Spirit, and we pray, God, that you would show us